This is the Asade Podcast Channel. Audio pills to get inspired. My name is Ivan Kavishnich and I have been teaching here at Asade innovation and related subject to a variety of audiences from masters, MBA and executive um, courses. And in addition to that, I do a lot of research that concerns innovation and particularly business model innovation. And this is something that I would like to talk to you about today. So today I'll focus on three studies, highlights from three studies uh, that have to do with how companies move into this new type of business model uh, called service business model and how they combine that with product innovation that we have been seeing uh, over a number of years in the industries. Um, I know we have a mixed audience here, so I'll try not to bore you with technical details, and I'll refer to the studies that, uh, that where, where you can find the details and the empirical results. So I'll just focus on the main findings and the implications, why that is important. So, um, a bit about context to start with. Uh, my research over the past 10 years focused mainly on manufacturing companies, uh, with high emphasis on the industrial equipment manufacturers in the Western countries. And if you look at these industries, you will notice that industrial equipment manufacturing, manufacturing in general has been under pressure for more than a decade, probably two decades. And the, this is particularly true for the, for the companies that are in the developed countries. So you can see the stagnation uh, in terms of the uh, percentage of the world output, for example, that economists reported. And the only exception to that is China, right? So, so we see that from uh, a pressure comes mainly from the low-cost manufacturing locations, and that the manufacturers in developed countries are particularly worried about that. Now, what to do about that? Um, competing on cost, of course, is not easy for uh, manufacturers in the developed world. So and one of the alternative scenarios that started to become particularly interesting and um, celebrated in the past years is this service business models, or we call it servitization. It's a tacky label that we use to say that companies are not just selling products any longer, but they're adding layers and layers of services. So if you think about a piece of industrial equipment, uh, think of maintenance services, monitoring, optimization, um, managing the processes, and even managing the whole factory on behalf of your customers. And companies around the developed world have been doing that a lot. So on the left-hand side, you can see Rolls-Royce with their airplane engines. Uh, they have shifted towards what is called power-by-the-hour business model, where they no longer sell the, the, the engine, but they pretty much uh, deliver the capacity of using that engine. So they charge you per flying hours if you're an airline and uh, they take care of everything else for you. On the right-hand side, you see something similar uh, in the case of 
uh, tractors. This is John Deere's example. And there are plenty of others all across industrial equipment manufacturing, software, and now recently also in pharma. So servitization is a prominent trend and, and is here to stay. Uh, here's some data uh, on, on the global level. If you look at uh, the percentage of companies that besides manufacturing companies that besides products also deliver some services. As you can see on the, on the left-hand side, you see all the highly developed countries. You see US, Finland, uh, Singapore, and for a number of them, these countries, you can see that the percentage goes as high as 50% or even higher, right? On the right-hand side, you see some of the more developing countries. Uh, and China is at the end of the list. So, so this, is, this is pretty much what the discourse was for 10 years or more. Um, China and low-cost um, uh, countries will compete on costs and will compete about on value-added services. Now, this has been shifting. And already in 2011, we started to see that China will not wait for services, they, they, will, they will go in that area as well. And so you can see on the right-hand side, the China almost for no services is going to about 10% or 20% of companies adopting services in addition to products. So some of these assumptions about how we compete versus they turned out not to be, not to be um, true for a very long time. Uh, so this, is, this made a lot of researchers worry about what really is the impact that investing in services and going through this tremendous shift from product to services has on the performance of, of manufacturing companies. And uh, in, in the first study that, that came out of my doctoral research, with my, uh, with my colleague, Bart Van Looy, we, we set out to, uh, to explore this question. So we worked with a, a, a large multinational equipment manufacturer uh, from Swedish origins, but present internationally. Um, the name of the company is Atlas Copco. If some of you have heard, they manufacture a variety of different industrial equipment pieces, but mostly compressors. Uh, so we worked with a compressor business, and we looked particularly at their subsidiaries. So sales and service subsidiaries around the world, for they had 44 of them. Uh, and over a period of, um, of seven years, we collected data on how they actually provide products and services, whether these complement each other, whether they substitute each other, how they managed to turn the sales of both into profits. And um, the, the findings of this study that now you can see crosses the whole world from the developing to the developed countries um, suggests that um, when you have companies, when you have the old model where you have a manufacturing firm on the left-hand side selling products and a little bit of services like parts, um, and the customer performing the other part of the services like maintenance and monitoring, you have a suboptimal system. Um, once you 
change that into servitized model where manufacturing firm is delivering products and all product-related services, parts and maintenance, you have a potential to create more value overall. So uh, we, this was our hypothesis, and we, we plugged the data uh, this 44, on, on these 44 subsidiaries uh, over seven years. Uh, we did some of the, of the corrections in order to, um, to tease out the causality and to establish that, that we are indeed looking at the impact of, uh, of the change of the business model on the performance rather than the other way around. And what we managed to show is that there is this positive revenue loop between the products and services. The more products you sell, the more opportunity you have to deliver services. Now, that was quite straightforward. We expected this to happen. But also, the more services you sell, the more products you will sell in the future. Now, that was less straightforward because we saw two reasons why there could be, uh, we saw a reason for positive and a negative feedback effect. The positive feedback effect would be because the more you service, the better reputation you have with your customers, the more you observe what your customer needs, the more you're present in their, in their mind. However, the, the drawback is the more you service, the longer is the lifetime of your existing product and you're postponing the purchases. So that is the cost of servitizing. You're basically cannibalizing your future product revenues. Um, now, we established uh, in this model that actually this cost is more than compensated by the value you create by understanding your customer better, being able to be the first in their mind where they're uh, selecting the new product. And we particularly saw that that effect intensifies when you have relationship-intensive services. So the more labor-intensive services are, the more your technician goes and talks to the, um, to the customer's technician or to their purchasing manager, the more likely you are to resell later on. So this was the first finding, growth effect, positive revenue, reinforcing revenue loop. However, that did not tell us yet what is the effect on profits. So we did a profit analysis and we particularly worried that uh, we wanted to control that we're not seeing any kind of movement of profits from products to services. We knew that services are generally more profitable, but is that because you price products lower and services higher? Are you just shifting your pool of profits? So we did an analysis that looks at the effect of moving towards services on the overall profits that you're making, both on products and services. And what we found was an interesting relationship. So the effect was overall positive, but it was not linear. It was actually, it was a cubic relationship where there were three particular stages. In the first stage, there was this very high, very positive, steep uh, positive impact. I, I apologize if it's not visible. Um, and we call that reaping low-hanging fruits, right? So this is before you made significant investments in services, you're offering services on ad hoc basis, the ones that your customer really needs, they're willing to pay a lot, 
And so you're, you're pretty much reaping those low-hanging service fruits. Then you start to like it. You think this is a profitable market. This is going to be um, an, an interesting area. And you start to systemize services from a, an ad, ad hoc offering to a, to a business. And this is where uh, the investments start to be, begin. Uh, training of the new technicians, investment in the IT systems, uh, buying of, of, of new technology. So here there is the effect of the, on the profitability starts to slow down, right, because of these, because of these investments. And afterwards, when the economies of scales are reached, when learning effects start to kick in, when you really start to uh, learn what you're doing, then, you, then you're likely to get to another, um, another, another higher, uh, higher stage. Um, we thought this was interesting because uh, companies that that do not, that, that end up in this investment period can be discouraged and can think that they're actually seeing decreasing um, returns on services. So we thought that this was important to flag out that this is just a temporary uh, slowing down due to the, due to the investment. So this was, this was the, the servitization and the impact on servitization. The, the second uh, part that we, uh, that in the second part in the study that followed, we were more curious about how do servitization and product innovation um, interact. The reason why product innovation is interesting is because we knew that while developed company, companies in the developed countries may not be focusing on the, on the low cost advantage due to the competition from the uh, from the, from the low-cost uh, countries, they may be focusing on the product innovation, right? So that was differentiation. Product innovation was always a tool that you would contrast with the, with the low-cost advantage. So we wanted to know whether, uh, whether companies do them both. Is this effective or should you focus on one or another? Um, so that was the second question. And we did a study that was uh, published um, last year in the Journal of Product Innovation Management, then actually with a colleague, uh, Frank Wingarten, uh, here at Esade, and another colleague from Cambridge. And um, from this research, what, what we found out is that, well, first of all, we, we changed also the sample. That's probably important to say. Uh, while we focused in the previous study on one company and their subsidiaries, here we wanted also to see what happens uh, around, uh, around the globe in terms of the other companies as well. So we focused just on the developed markets, but we looked at different companies. So particularly we focused on the 390 firms. Um, and out of those, we, uh, we had about 133 that mentioned services in their, uh, in their annual report. So this was consistent with the descriptive statistics I showed earlier that companies in the developed countries have uh, anywhere between 20 and 50% in, in terms of the service offering. So, so this was a, a much uh, bigger sample and we selected data over a period of 2000 to 2008 uh, to analyze it. So similar, similar kind of range time frame as the last study. In terms of the findings, we also decided to expand the analysis 
focusing not just on the product-oriented services like maintenance or monitoring of the equipment and, um, and similar services to customer-oriented services. And by customer-oriented services, uh, we, we refer to the services that help customers to buy the products, so financing, for example, to change their processes in order to adapt products, uh, in order to adopt products like in the software, for example, you have business consulting that usually accompanies um, a company's implementation of software. IBM has been over in the in the 90s, in particular, known from their shift from the product to a software or service oriented business model. So we included those as well. In the Atlas Copco study, we were focused mainly on the product-oriented services. And what we learned is that there are differences uh, in these two models. For first one, actually, in terms of knowledge, reinforces your existing knowledge on products. So you start to know what your, uh, how uh, your product performs in the, in, the, in the market. You see whether the customers like it. You see whether it's overheating or not. All this kind of technical aspect. On the other hand, uh, when you go towards the, uh, the customer-oriented business models, you're expanding your knowledge in other areas. So all of a sudden, it doesn't have to do with your product and how it works. It has to do with your customer's environment, their organization, and how that works. So a much broader set of, set of knowledge starts to get built and explored. And we saw also that the performance impacts are slightly different of these two, these two businesses. So if you decide just to focus on servitization without product innovation, the effect on performance will be the following. You will have short-term gains in terms of profit margin, um, meaning that next year your profit margins inc will increase in the year that follows. However, um, in terms of the knowledge gains on the long-term that we captured with Tobin's Q, we see sacrifice. So we see a negative and significant effect of just servitizing. So this is, this is almost like you're using just a cash cow. However, servitization com combined with product innovation has a completely different effect. So all of a sudden, when we interacted in the model, product innovation and R&D spending with the, with the shift towards services, we saw that we see a short-term sacrifice so profit margin immediately goes down because you have two things to invest in. You're probably, you're probably uh, it, it requires longer, longer time frame for the investment and also for the learning effects to kick in. But you have a long-term gain because all of a sudden, uh, if your service technician goes and learns something about your, uh, about your product or your consultant goes and learns something about the organization, he can feed back that information into the R&D department and they can develop new products or they can develop new business service offering. So this was, this was the, the, what, what we have discovered. So on the short term, you may be sacrificing some benefits in terms of performance, but on the long term, you're gaining. 
we saw some differences in terms of the two models that also, also fitted the, 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 the underlying mechanisms that we noticed. So first of all, on the product-oriented side, uh, we saw that there is a, a saturating long-term gain. So there is a positive impact, but then it slows down. We call that in research, in research that it's an inverted U-shaped relationship. Um, on the other hand, and the reason for that is we believe that there is, there's just limitations in terms of the knowledge that you can, uh, product knowledge that you can, you can pick up from the service environment. Uh, you can see what, what, what the product, how the product works. You can talk to technicians and that delivers great results. But there is conceptually a limitation to the product itself. On the other hand, with respect to the, uh, the customer-oriented business model, we, uh, we saw a weaker but fully linear relationship, meaning that if you like IBM, completely walk out of the comfort of your, of your key business area, your products, and you enter something that's further away, like, consult, like business consulting, you, will, you have um, almost endless opportunity to, to explore and to, to generate new knowledge and to reinvent yourself. So this was, this was, this was defining in terms, of the, in terms of how the two, two main competitive tools for the manufacturing and software companies in the developed countries uh, interact and work. Um, having explored that, um, we were starting to get curious about one more thing. And uh, this is the study that I'm currently working on with, with my colleagues, and it's not published yet. But I think I have about five more minutes, three more minutes. So I'm going to just tell you very briefly about uh, the highlights of it. And that has to do with probably the first question that should have been asked properly, and that is why companies servitize in the first place. Uh, when we started the presentation, I, I evoked the commoditization of manufacturing and the um, uh, lack of competitiveness or decrease in competitiveness of, of, the, um, uh, of, of the developed countries in, in, in terms of the productivity and manufacturing costs in particular. However, this is not the only reason. So, over the time, as we studied this phenomenon, we started to see that it's not just that, that actually uh, services start to appear in the emerging um, markets, in at the beginning of the industry life cycle, in R&D intensive environments. We started to see multiple reasons why companies would servitize. But one thing that we did not know is when they would opt for which kind of services. Um, so we're, we're currently working on that, and actually uh, we've been just granted a revision in Journal of Product Innovation Management with uh, a colleague from, uh, from SADE, Dimo Ringov, and uh, another colleague from Leuven, Sam Arts. And so, so what we will argue in this paper, which is also a large study, and it's based on about uh, 400 companies capturing 20 years as opposed to 10 years in the previous studies or, or a little bit less. What, what, we will, what, what, what we will argue here is that when you look at the product-oriented services and the customer-oriented services, you see very different reasons of why they appear. 
on the product-oriented side, we are seeing these kinds of services starting to appear more in the emerging markets when the products are, uh, when, when the technology is still new, when the industry life cycle is still very nascent. We see them also in the R&D intensive environments where, uh, where the technology is sophisticated, where the cycles of technological change uh, go fast. And we see it in competitive industry conditions. On the other hand side, we see customer-oriented services starting to appear in the maturing industries um, and where the, industry, where the change is not so fast and in the cyclical conditions. We're still working on it, but our uh, preliminary results suggest that, and, and some of the interviews and, and research we did in terms of um, on the qualitative side suggest that over here we are seeing more of a services intended to develop the product itself and to situate the product in the market. So similarly to the second study I showed you, these products are actually supporting product innovation. They're fostering this knowledge on the products and they're helping companies compete in the existing environment. On the other hand side, these customer-oriented services are more relevant in the conditions where the industry is starting to become uninteresting in performance sense and where the companies are trying to migrate out of it. So you're trying to build a new knowledge that helps you to compete in new environment. Again, a little bit like, like IBM did exiting um, uh, laptops and the actually the personal computers. So this is, this is the, the, the third study. There are a number of others that we did in terms of the impact on the organizations, organizational change, and also performance measures in these types of environment, um, I mean companies. And so just to briefly sum up the main findings that we have so far. So first study, Atlas Kopkov study, we showed that servitization creates this revenue generating loop between the products and services and has a positive impact, even though nonlinear, but positive impact on the performance margin. In the second study, we showed that uh, servitization and product innovation, when deployed jointly, have short-term performance sacrifice, but a long-term performance gain. You're building knowledge. And the third study that I showed you suggests that servitization appears in different services, companies go for services in different conditions. If they are facing emerging R&D intensive or competitive environment, they are likely to go for the product-oriented services in order to better position their uh, products and in order to be able to uh, learn more about how they're used. On the other hand side, if they are uh, in the uh, more mature or cyclical, so unattractive industries, they're looking to create knowledge outside of the product domain in order to migrate uh, using potentially their, their knowledge on the customers and the, as the bridge. So this is a little bit what I, what I wanted to share with you in terms of highlights and if you have specific questions in terms of data or anything or 
even the implications. We have about 10 minutes for the, for the Q&A. So thank you very much for your patience. Thanks for listening. It's Sade, inspiring futures. Mm-hmm.